Hello and welcome to Match Day FM. It's Morgan and it's deflected in out of absolutely nothing. Curzon and Ashton lead. Dixie to Hardy. Hardy in behind. Hardy past the goalkeeper. Hardy into the goal. 2-1 filed. Chance of Colin Day bubbling everywhere again. The other shot. And it's in. It's a recall as for Colin Day. It's been coming. Potter Gaff had to go through it. And Akron gets the first try of the game for Siddle. They've got it with Smith, they've got it with Smith, they've got a score with Smith. Unbelievable. Great chance, they've won it. Ashton have won it. Hello and welcome to Matchday FM and the latest edition of Prem Talk. My name is Kieran Macon. I'll be your host and I'm going to be joined by my good friend Chris Stock. Chris, the roles are reversed this evening. I think this is the first time me and yourself have done a podcast and you know, you've been a pundit and I've been a presenter. So, firstly, are you looking forward to giving your opinions rather than asking the questions? Yeah, and I think, you know, it's about time I actually proved I have, you know, some knowledge of, of the game. I suppose, I mean, this podcast might prove the opposite. But, yeah, it's it's always good to be able to be the uh, villain of the piece sometimes. and Because, <laughs> you know, you know me, I... <clears throat> I have some strong opinions about some clubs and some players, etc. So, uh, yeah, it'll be nice to get some of them off my chest for once. Certainly will. I know what it's like uh, getting things off your chest. Sometimes, you know, it's quite therapeutic and, you know, others <laughs> it's, it, it can be challenging because you're probably thinking uh, people, uh, you know, going gonna to judge me or, or whatever. But, you know, uh, I wish you the best of luck. I'm sure you've got some uh, <laughs> valid opinions. They're not all going to be uh, complete rubbish. Um but we've yeah. got a lot of football to get stuck into, Chris, haven't we? I mean, uh, we've had 10 midweek Premier League, Premier League games. Then we've got a weekend round of fixtures, <clears> haven't we? And then we've got another another 10 coming up next week. So we're going to do the best to keep up with it as the weeks roll by. But we're going to look at, uh, obviously, the midweek games just gone. Uh, back on Tuesday, uh, Crystal Palace, West Ham United. Newcastle United's miserable run continued as Leeds uh, won 2-1 uh, Sorry, at St. James's Park. Uh, we had... Uh, a rematch of the FA Cup tie between Southampton and Arsenal, but it was not Southampton who could do the repeat. It was revenge for Mikel Arteta's team. They won 3-1 at St. Mary's. And West Bromwich Albion, their misery continues also. Uh, they were walloped 5-0 at home to Manchester City, who were sensational. Um, if we move on to Wednesday's results, uh, a thriller at Turf Moor. What will touch on this briefly, Chris, in a bit, but this was Abner's Burnley 3, Aston Villa 2, but that is literally the least of the story, the scoreline, because there was chances galore. Thomas Tuchel had his first game for Chelsea. I mean, we'll touch on this again, but they drew 0-0 at home to Wolverhampton Wanderers. Um, Balve was right, Chris, in our last podcast. Uh, a ball draw, Brighton and Fulham, 0-0. There's me predicting four goals. Uh, Everton and Leicester was, though, as tight as we said it would be, and it ended up being a 1-1 draw. And finally, and this leads us on nicely, Chris, to our first topic. Manchester United 1, Sheffield United 2. He's shaking his head as Chris as a staunch Manchester United fan, but let's get right into that, shall we, Chris? 2-1 uh, um, against the bottom club. Obviously, had only won one game previous, and that was at home to Newcastle at Bramall Lane. Um, we'll, we'll come on to United, but let's start with Sheffield United. Uh, this had implications at both ends of the table. Obviously, United in the uh, title race, but Sheffield United really, really fighting for their lives. No team has had uh, this amount of points or a less amount of points at this stage of the season than Sheffield United have had. Have had. Um, but what did they do to just get it right, in your opinion, on the night? And secondly, how much belief 
will it give them to, you know, try and get out of the relegation zone? Yeah, well, I think um, they played a style of football which, for the last couple of seasons, Man United have really struggled to break down, particularly at home, where there's that sort of solid base. Um, and, you know, they took their opportunities. Uh, scored from a set piece, um, you know, you know these lesser sides, that's the bread and butter for them. If they, if they can, that's where they know they can hurt the top teams and they took advantage of of, we know David Hay is not the strongest in terms of coming through a crowd of players and punching a ball away. Um, obviously, we'll touch on the finer details of it, but um, <clears throat> you know they, they got the goal from that, um, and then the second goal they put a bit of pressure on on United on the back line, and again that's where United are weaker this season, and they capitalised and they didn't give. United uh, time, space. Um, Jagielka probably had his best game for five or six years minimum. It was outstanding at the back. And I, th- I think they all just put in that sort of seven, eight out of ten performance as a minimum and got a great result, which ultimately I think, you know, we said just before we come on earth, you could argue now that of the sides down there, you would say West Brom are the ones who you don't think will get out of it. You got a feeling that Sheffield United, they play like that and can go to the likes of Man United and win games. Could they perform an absolute miracle? Probably not, but they're going to give themselves a fighting chance um, by just playing the way they do. And that was probably, you know the style of football they played last season that suited them so well, they got it right this time. And fair play to them. They were the better team. They deserve to win. I think just before we go on to Manchester United, Chris, um, a good point you mentioned there is nobody really expects them to get out of it, do the Sheffield United. I mean, I, I think personally they'll still go down. I think you're, you're probably in agreement with that. But in a weird sort of way, this siege mentality and nobody expects us to do it and the pressure's off kind of thing now, is that could that play into Sheffield United's hands and Chris Wilder's hands? Obviously, he's dealing with a lot of injuries as well. You mentioned about Jagielka playing. Do you think that the fact that there's no pressure on them could actually weirdly turn into a, like a, a sort of positive for them because they can just go out there and you know if they lose they're expected to lose but if they pick up results here and there other teams might start looking over the shoulder yeah it makes them a bit dangerous because everybody's written them off you know we've written them off let's face it anybody who you know has watched a lot of football has probably written them off because of how far adrift they are the only people who haven't are probably the players and the manager even fans have probably thought nah that's it all gone, but yeah, it could be dangerous. Probably won't get out of it. That you know, there's a lot to do, but more importantly, they could have a massive say on who goes down with them. And that, if I was a team in and around that relegation zone, um, you know, if when we're coming up against Sheffield United, I'd be frightened to death because they could quite easily. Uh, and I, I feel I feel for them generally because um, they've they've not been far off really. I've been a lot of games is lost by the odd goal, um, and they proved last night that they've got a decent amount of quality, good work ethic. They've been unlucky this season. They got the rub of the green last night. Got the look that that that's deserted them for so many games, and got a great win. And 
you know, makes it a little bit more interesting again. It just adds another little element at that bottom end of the, of the table. Yeah, agreed. It adds that little bit of sting uh, into the relegation battle that is always pretty exciting. And uh, But like I said, Chris, it, you know, implications of both end of the table and, and the other end of the table is also pretty exciting. As we touched on in the, in the last episode, you know, it, the title race is madness and this certainly was another twist. One that I wasn't expecting for sure. Um, we've discussed what went right for Sheffield United. You know, I'm much belief it gives them. But as a Manchester United fan, Chris, take your rose-tinted glasses off and let's have a bit of a, a neutral vibe on this one. But what went wrong from your point of view for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer? And, you know, uh, can you put it into words uh, how big of a setback it is? Is it massive or is it, you know, they've just got to see it as a blip and try and get over it as quickly as possible? Well, first of all, it's the biggest shock of the season. Even bigger than Burnley going to Anfield and winning, in my eyes, because I think, you know, at that time, Liverpool were at a bit of a blip and you always thought Burnley had the tools to go there. I think we said it, didn't we, that, you know, Burnley are the probably sort of team who could go there and get a result. Nobody gave Sheffield United a prayer and they've gone there, done the job on United. Um, in terms of how damaging it is, I don't know how... I think ultimately we'll find out how damaging it is at the end of the Arsenal game. Because if United respond and go to our, get that result against Arsenal, it, you know, it's a different kettle of fish, then you probably think, okay, fair enough, because, you know, probably on it on balance about the right sort of points um, thing. But if it comes down to the end of the season, we, we think at the minute it's going to be tight. It looks like it be tight case to say City might just start pulling away soon but if it is tight come the end of the season and United lose out because they didn't beat Sheffield United at home then it obviously it's huge because it should have been a banker in terms of where it went wrong I think a lot of players just didn't perform to the standard they should do I th- case to say complacency again because of that everybody expected them to win but United need to get get out of that. You know, under Ferguson, that never happened. They treated all the lower teams as if they were playing Liverpool, Chelsea, Arsenal, etc. And it's a bit of an Achilles heel for United, dropping points against teams they should beat. Crystal Palace on their opening game, prime example, where they just didn't show up. Um, Bruno was quiet, and I think it shows when Bruno's quiet, United are quiet. Martial, for me, and thought this for a long time, he's the weakest of that attacking four, five if you include Bruno um, and, and Cavani, Rashford, etc. Um, I can see him leaving in the summer myself because I just don't think he he's cut, cutting it consistently enough. They're the sort of games he got grabbed by the scruff of the neck. Pogba tried, but again, couldn't quite do it. And it was just defense, defensive errors. Uh, De Gea, back to his old tricks on the first goal. Yeah, you could say he's fouled. He, you know, ultimately, if Maguire's fouled Ramsdale, then Sharp has fouled De Gea. But De Gea has also got to be stronger. And then the second goal on my days. Could sit here for hours, picking it apart. Martial's got to do better on the ball for starters. Um, Maguire got to deal with it more. De Gea's just got to put his foot through it rather than just you know, flicking it away to the sides. Then there was no pressure on the ball. Tunzebe, not the best attempt of a block either. Yeah, it, it, they were just off, off the pace. And Sheffield United weren't. 
Sheffield United probably played their best game of the season. And when United are off, if the opposition do that in this league, they're going to get the win. You touched on it there, Chris, briefly, and we'll, we'll go into depth about it now. Obviously, the first goal for Keane Bryan, uh, Sheffield United's opener, the header off the corner, which went in off the post. Um, it looks as if it was a clear push from Billy Sharp on David De Gea. And for me, and we'll come on to protection of goalkeeper shot, but for me, that was a, a foul. He, he pushed him in the back, which ultimately pushes De Gea out of the flight of the ball, but also puts him off balance. And then the second one, I think it's not a foul. Maguire's got eyes only for the ball. I don't even think he makes contact with Ramsdale. Listen, I've not been impressed with Ramsdale all season. I think he's dodgy at best. And he just didn't look convincing, you know, and, and obviously Marshall's tapped it in and the, the referee disallowed it. So um, we, we've talked about, you know, what we both think that, you know, one should have stood and one shouldn't. Um, well, opposites really. But the question I want to put to you and any other thoughts you want to add is, is the, do goalkeepers get too much protection? And is it just a sign of the modern game, really? Yeah, I, I think it is. I, I think, you know, the point I'd make on, on these decisions is you've got to be, you know, if the disallow, if they're allowing the first goal, they've got to allow the um, the Martial goal, the so-called foul on Maguire, because it's there's less contact for starters and there's eyes on the ball, where Sharp clearly makes a move into the goalkeeper. Um, so the decision's got to be the same on both of them, because if Maguire's is a foul, then how isn't Sharp's? That that's the big conundrum, and how they can happen in the same game. Obviously, there is a caveat with the sec- with the United goal that wasn't given that the referee blew before the ball went into the net. If he doesn't blow, would VAR have let, um, chalked it off? No. <laughs> so, um, th- yeah, they, it, that's a difficult one. But in terms of goalkeeper protection, yeah, they get far far too much. Um, you know, I, I used to play in goal myself. Um, I know I know the dark arts of getting the free kick from a from a corner from a defensive point of view. Um, you know, you just get yourself a bit too. You're just annoyed that the striker into giving you a nudge and whatever, and you get the free kick nine times out of ten. And yeah, I, I don't like it. I think you see it so often where a goalkeeper will get a torch and they'll just claim that they've they've been fouled, even to try and cover up a mistake. Ultimately, the chalked-off goal covers up a bad, bad mistake from Ramsdale. Um, De Gea, if the goal would have been chalked off for Sheffield United, De Gea would have probably got away with the mistake himself. But, you know, yeah, there's too, there's just too much in there. It's just like, it's like a rare breed, aren't they, that need protecting or something because it's, they get away with murder. Uh, and like... Because if that collision was between a um, Maguire and Jagielka, for example, that's not giving a foul, is it? So how how is the goalkeeper different? No, you're absolutely spot on. Um, I mean, it, it bugs me no end, honestly, the protection goalkeepers. And I think it's like anything, even an out, outfield foul, as you've mentioned, Chris, you just got to apply common sense to the situation. But unfortunately, we all know that in football, common sense just never really seems to prevail. And... Um, I've come to, there's a level of acceptance with me now where I just, you know, take that with a pinch of salt and just think, yeah, goalkeepers get protected. My issue is here, we've got two identical, almost identical situations and we've got VAR, we've got video assistant referee technology. We're supposed to help the referee and we've got two completely different decisions from two identical yeah. situations and that, that is the main issue. Yeah, because we always moan about 
inconsistencies. And yeah, you, you could say if the if that's in two separate games, you can be like, okay, yeah, it's different officials, different interpretations, but it's the same officials within five minutes of each other. How on earth can they come up with such baffling decisions? Because if you was to to show somebody who hadn't watched the game both goals and said, right, one of those was given, one wasn't as a goal. You'd have gone, yeah, the Manchester United one's given and the Sheffield United one's chalked off. But like any logical person would, would see that. But to say it was the other way around, it's like, hey, as a, I, to be honest, I think, you know, part of me is saying that, yeah, Sheffield United shouldn't have stood, United should have stood. Part of me is also thinking, just give them both. Well, yeah, you goalkeeper. Hopefully, you know what I mean. That's it. Like it, it, it doesn't matter if it's a wrong decision for one of them. It's just having consistency, which is the issue. Um, I mean, to be first, Dotty, I think the only way we're going to get around this is if at the end of the season we just do a look back and all the the bad yeah. VAR decisions. We'll do a pod on on the full the full season. And just oh. see what we've bad. It, but what like, was after we, we talk about inconsistencies. Well, I'll just I'll just throw this one in. Obviously, we've had the rule change in the offside, which would would now disallow the goal. Was it Bernardo Silva scored against Aston Villa? It's all well and good changing it now, isn't it? It's happened. Mm-hmm. But Aston Villa aren't happy about it. You know, they were well in that game. That could be a, a big result come the end of the season. That could be a massive result in title race, for example. You know, they've got with the technology and everything that's available, how are we getting so little consistency and nobody knowing rules anymore? It's just, <laughs> it goes it goes way beyond us, mate. Is that some boffin at FIFA's way above my payroll? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so we'll leave that one there. Uh, let's let's look ahead for these two teams now, Chris. Obviously, um, Sheffield United are staying in Manchester. Well, not actually staying in Manchester. Well, they might be. I don't know. But they're it makes sense. <laughs> it wouldn't make sense to do so because they are playing uh, league leaders, new league leaders, Manchester City um, at the Etihad Stadium. Um, surely they can't, Chris? Can they? Well, <laughs> I think this would show where both Man United and Man City are. Because if Man United can't beat Sheffield United and then City go and put five or six past them, I honestly think that that's evidence to suggest that City just steamroll everybody from here and and could be 10 clear by mid-February. Something daft like that. You know what I mean? It's going to be interesting because if Sheffield United cause the same sort of problems... Um, against Man City, then you would say, okay, yeah, there's still not a lot between that those top teams. We'll probably learn more about the title contenders from how City go about taking on Sheffield United for me. Um, can Sheffield United go there and get something? Why not? Now to lose, they'll probably set up exactly the same way. Look to get uh, scrappy goals. Stranger things have happened. You know, uh, it was a strange result to go to Manchester United and win. Burnley winning at Anfield, strange result. And to fair, they backed it up. So um, maybe if Sheffield United go there and win, though, wow, that definitely shakes up the title and shakes it up down in the relegation zone as well. What do you think is actually going to happen, though, Chris? What's your, what's your prediction, though? That's nah, fourth. 4-0. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to have to agree with you. I think, listen, 
Um, Sheffield United are full of endeavour. They'll do what they do, you know, play the way they'll always play. And they'll give it a right good goal. But City just looking incredible at the minute, scoring loads of goals, keeping clean sheets, which is the massive thing. And I'm going to go, yeah, I think I'm going to go 4 0. To be honest, sorry, Sheffield United. Great result, Manchester United, taking off and away from you, but cannot see them getting anything at the Etihad. But on the other hand, uh, for Manchester United, Chris is a, probably a perfect game, really, if you want to try and bounce back from a defeat like this. They're travelling to the Emirates to face Arsenal. Obviously, old foes, Arsenal. The game doesn't seem to have as much spice as it did back in the day, but still a big game, nevertheless. Um, do you think, you know, Oli and his team need an immediate response if they're serious about the title race? Do you think they need to go there and win? And what, what do you think the score is going to be? Yeah, I do think they need to go there and win if they are serious title contenders because back-to-back defeats takes you from title contender talk to just top four talk, really, doesn't it? The way it is now. So they do need to go there and win. Arsenal are in decent form, though. They've really picked up... Um, you know, they're going about the business quietly. The youngsters that have come in, Smith Rowe in particular, outstanding. Saka, for me, at the minute, if I was to pick an England squad, Saka's in it. He's doing that well. Um, and, yeah, the, the, it's going to be a tough game for United. Um, and you know, Arsenal won this corresponding fixture um, at Old Trafford and then won at the Emirates last season. So they've got a bit of um, the mockers on on United at the minute. So, tough one. But surely United are more like what they showed against Liverpool in the FA Cup than what they showed against Sheffield United. I'm going to go 2-1 Man United. Uh, that very very well could be the case. I can see either team winning this, to be honest with you. It's on a knife edge for me. I mean, Arsenal are in really good shape in the Premier League. Um, really good shape in the minute. You're right about the youngsters, Smith, Rowe and, and Saka in particular. And obviously, Odegaard. Might make oh, his yeah. debut as well, you know, after signing from uh, on loan from Real Madrid. So um, that'll be interesting to see if, if he gets thrown straight in. Um, I mean, what what a baptism, baptism, uh, baptism, sorry, of fire. Um, but he, he's talented by all accounts. So it'll be interesting to see him. I'm going to go, I'm going to sit on the fence. I'm going to go for a 1-1 draw, I think, for this one. Um, but we'll see. Really looking forward to that one. That's uh, Saturday evening. The Matchday FM podcast, available now on Apple and Spotify. Right, Chris, we're going to um, look at another major talking point. I mean, this one came before the Sheffield United win, so we've tried to like stagger it and you know uh, keep it as relevant as possible. But this is a big one, and obviously you've alluded to it already with an article on our website, and that was Chelsea in general. But um, we're going to lead with... Um, our initial thoughts of Frank Lampard um, being given the boot by Roman Abramovich. And um, we've not discussed it on a pod yet. So uh, before we get stuck into, you know, Thomas Tuchel's first game and all that uh, palaver, uh, just your initial thoughts about the, you know, the Frank Lampard situation and, you know, whether you thought it was the right or wrong call or it was done at the, the right or wrong time. Well, on the face of it, obviously, you know, they were what, ninth in the league at the time, miles off, um, where Chelsea ought to be, especially with the money they spent. So if it was, you know, if he was Spanish, a Spanish manager, yeah, it no nobody would bat an eyelid for me. Um, so in that respect, yeah, um, tad bit of misfortune because it started, you know, they, they banged on about building this project, this Chelsea team with all these young players. Done so well that first season under Lampard. And then, they just seemed to rip it up by bringing in um, new players who didn't... It was just effectively replacing the ones who 
had done so well because Werner would have gone in, has gone in ahead of Abraham Havertz. You know, looked as though he was going to play the Mason Mount position, etc. Um, Ziyech instead of uh, Hudson Odoi. You know, so I just I just think something just went awry in 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 the summer with the whole project, and I think that's one of the things that's counted against him. Um, it goes, I mean, 18 months at Chelsea ain't bad when you think about it. <laughs> better manage, <laughs> managers who have got better CVs, shall we say, have, have lasted far less time. Um, I think, yeah, tad harsh in, in the sense that, you know, there were the worst signs in that first season. But when you ha- have a second season that has been so disappointing, yeah, you can point at players not performing but surely the manager's job is to get the best out of those players. For me, the argument of saying Werner, etc., need time to settle is dead in the water when you look at Bruno Fernandes and his instant um, impact on the Premier League. I don't think anybody can get away with that excuse anymore. And so, the fact we're in, Jan- we're in January now as well. You know, yeah. It's been a good four or five months, hasn't it? And the likes of Werner are seemingly getting worse. So I don't I don't see that. And yeah, I, I just think when you spend that much money, not got the best out of your players, seemingly going away from the original plan and factor in, it's Chelsea. Um, yeah, I'm not surprised to see him go, but I do think he'll be um, in a job soon. Would not I wrote in the end of the article that I wouldn't be surprised if he ended up at Newcastle if they got rid of Bruce. So... I'd seen actually just uh, just before we started this that some of the odds for his next job, for some reason, his next job, um, the shortest odds are at West Ham. I don't see that anytime soon, given Moyes' thing as we'll come on later. But Newcastle, um, I think, was 17 to 1 or something like that. So, um, yeah, I won't be surprised if we went there. But, yeah, to, to sum it all up, not surprised he's gone. Probably the right call. Yeah, just quickly for me, I think it's a little bit harsh. I think you made a very good point, Chris, that he um, he got the best out of the team last year when he didn't have any money to spend. So when having money to spend has almost been his worst enemy, really. As it is at Chelsea, if you spend 200, 250 million of Roman, Roman Abramovich's money, you better start well because you are on the shopping board otherwise. That's, that's just the way it is at Chelsea, regardless of who you are, whether you're a club legend or not. So I would have given him probably till the end of the season um, assess it then. And then, uh, but I have no doubt that if they got to the end of the season, he probably would have been sacked anyway. So I feel a bit sorry for him. Um, I think it's probably going to be the right call at the moment in time. I just think maybe the job came too soon for him. Yeah, but obviously, agreed. as a club legend, as a club legend and stuff, and he plays good football, I think he just thought, you know what, I'm going to take this opportunity while I can. So um, unfortunate for Frank, but that's the way the cookie crumbles at these at these big clubs, and especially one that's owned by uh, Roman Abramovich, and you don't really mess with him either. Um, which is going to be interesting for Thomas Tuchel because by all accounts, Chris, he um, he has a history of arguing with board members and falling out with the hierarchy of the clubs he's been at in the past. So that'd be interesting if it if it comes to that stage. But he's only one game in. That was a nil-nil draw at home to Wolves. I mean, I've been, seen more inspiring games, to be honest with you. Listen, they had plenty of the ball. He looks like he's going to be a possession-based manager. You know, he's tweaked the formation to a 3-4-3 with, you know, two number 10s in behind the centre-forward. Um. It's only a few days and he's tried to stamp something straight away. Is it too early to judge him? I think yes. But 
ultimately, what, what are we expecting from him, Chris? He's won trophies. He won a trophy in Germany, the uh, German Cup. And he obviously won multiple trophies with PSG, got them to a Champions League final. Uh, what can he realistically achieve this season with Chelsea, do you think? Um, obviously, top four is, is going to be the minimum, isn't it, really? But it's, it's, it's a tough ask to do that right now uh, with so many teams in the hunt. Um, got to hit the ground running straight away. Um, I could see him targeting the FA Cup. Um, that's always been a good avenue for Chelsea managers, hasn't it, to get get a trophy. Um, and I think early signs are that, is it, you know, from what we've seen at his previous clubs, he's inventive, very tactically astute. Um, and you could see that on, on the touchline and the way we talking to players to give them really specific instructions. I like I like that. I think that is something that we don't see a lot. He's, a, he's an actual coach rather than a manager, which is a big difference and probably what Chelsea didn't have with Lampard. I, I thought you didn't really see that coaching aspect from the touchline. You very much seen with Tuchel. It's very different to personality. Um, whether it clashes with the um, hierarchy is a remains to be seen but it's an interesting appointment it wouldn't necessarily have been I mean I'm, I'm going to say this and not be able to give you an alternative but I don't think it's the would have necessarily been the obvious choice one that came to mind would have been somebody like an Allegri because he's been linked with God knows everybody um, but yeah it's, it's an interesting appointment what Tuchel has against him and it'll be the case for every manager that comes from PSG into another big club is it was PSG, you had Neymar, you had Mbappe, you had a great team and you were playing against no disrespect to the French League but there was only really two, three, maybe four teams who were decent. The rest you know don't want to use the, the phrase that always gets bounded around but a lot of teams who aren't great who the top teams beat comfortably nine times out of 10, 99 times out of 100 even. So that's always going to be the argument when somebody comes from being at a team where they coast it every week to come into Chelsea, come into the Premier League where, as we've seen, the bottom can beat the top and not even be that much of a surprise because it happens twice in three weeks. So, yeah, big job for him. Can he do it? Will he last longer than most? I know Gary Neville don't reckon it'll last 18 months, so uh, remains to be seen, doesn't it? I have no idea, personally. I think this season, he's got to either get in the top four or win the FA Cup. I can't see him doing both, personally. Um, I don't see him winning the Champions League. That's not going to no. happen. So um, it's going to be an interesting one. You know, what? What? what is a good sort of benchmark for him to set, really, and say to Abramovich and the board, I am the man to take you forward? Because imagine in the summer... If you know some of these players who were brought in this summer don't manage to pick up any form between now and the summer, they, they could be on the way. Even after one season, I think generally it could be that ruthless. Uh, which brings me on to my next point, Chris. You know, does it matter who the manager is? Is it at the minute the players are the problem? As in, you know, you spoke about Werner and the likes not settling. I mean, he was benched, you know, um, and Giroud started. And then you obviously had Havertz and ZH playing in those two number uh, number ten roles that I mentioned. They failed to do anything, and you would argue that maybe that's Havertz's, Havertz's best position. So, you know, are, are the players and you know the, the recruitment 
on paper looked really good, but they've not really, you know, shined so far. So are the players the issue really and not necessarily the manager? Yeah, because what you'd say is the only sign is that covered herself in a lot of glory. Thiago Silva, who was free. And we didn't expect masses considering his age and he'd been playing for PSG. Um, and like I've touched on different kettle of fish that altogether. And then Chilwell, who we thought would do really well and is doing pretty well. Um, the rest of flat, even Mendy hasn't, you know, he had them three or four really good games at the start and then, you know, looked more and more like Kepper as the week's gone on. Um, and it, it, it's so strange, you know, ZH was unbelievable for Ajax. Werner, outstanding for Leipzig. Havertz looked an absolute sensation and looked great. All three looked great business. And just, I, there's just something about Chelsea, isn't there? When they sign these players, they're either a Drogba or a Kesman or a Mewtwo. You look at somebody like a Shevchenko. What a player Shevchenko was. Didn't cut it at Chelsea. Crespo didn't cut it at Chelsea. Mentioned Kesman. He was banging him in for fun. They thought he was going to be like Van Nistelrooy. Didn't cut it. <laughs> the, the list goes on, doesn't it? Just so many mm. players. I wonder if, if they just inadvertently signed three at once. <laughs> and then... Yeah, because yeah, again, that, that argument of settling in periods, I don't buy into anymore. And um, surely it's easier without fans to settle in as well. Because, you know, you are just playing football you've not got everything that goes with it surely it's easier to come in um but yeah they've just not gonna furnish your glimpses didn't he at one point and then it's just tailed off Havertz again glimpses Ziyech I think had two games where I thought yeah okay for for dues it's got to be more than that um so they've got to take some of the responsibilities as the headline signings for me as well I think someone who sums this whole situation up, right, from Lampard to now is Mason Mount. And listen, everyone can joke saying, you know, Gareth Southgate loves him, Frank Lampard loves him. But, you know, ultimately, he was an academy product that got given a chance under Lampard because of the transfer ban and obviously went to Derby under Lampard on loan. But he was the comfortably, for the last uh, month or so of Lampard's reign, he was the best player. And then all of a sudden you know, Tuchel comes in and benches him. But then when he brings him on, he does more in 10 minutes than Ziyech and Havertz did. So again, that, that just sums the whole situation up for me. And, you know, um, Chelsea's just, they're just such a, I don't know. I, I can't put my thing wrong. Just instant success or nothing, isn't it? And that's just the yeah. way the way the club's going to be. Um, next up for them, Chris, is Burnley. And this is a, an interesting one. This could, you know, either kickstart Tuchel's Rain or Burnley, who are picking up some great results recently. You know, they've mentioned early on. I don't know how they won it. Villa had God knows how many chances, but Burnley have took their chances and, and they've won the game 3 2. They're on a good run at the minute. Um, so it's not going to be a walk in the park, I don't think, from my opinion, for Chelsea. Um, what do you think and how do you see the game going? And then obviously a prediction for that one. Obviously, against Wolves, they had all the ball and did nothing with it. It could quite easily be the same because you can't see Burnley playing much different to Wolves, and they probably have a little bit more in their ar- armory in terms of you know the set piece threat as well. Um, it's going to be a tough one, really tough one. I'm I'm intrigued as to how 
they're going to go about it because I think Burnley will be quite happy going, you know what, they're going to have 80% of ball. That, that'll do us fine because it was all in front of Wolves. There was nothing in behind. Burnley's going to love that. They'll lap that up. The only difference would be if it's Giroud playing as a centre-forward. That adds a little bit for, for Burnley to think about. But if it's, if it's a Werner, um, then oh, they'll be quite happy with that. Uh, you know what? I, I think 1-1. One, one. I, I think they're gonna, it's going to be a struggle for Chelsea. I really do. Because it's difficult to just change mentality in the way they play. To go to that 3-4-3 is very different to what they've been playing with Lampard. Even when they played with wing-backs, um, it was two sort of full-backs playing wing-backs. He was playing with Hudson Adai as one of the wing-backs. I don't understand why he left James out. I don't think he'll be doing that again. I think James, again, has been one of the best players this season. So, yeah, struggle, 1-1. Do you know what? I'm going to agree with you? Scoreline-wise, I'm going to go 1-1. I think I, I see it going exactly the same. Chelsea, again, lots and lots of the ball. Um, I look back to that Wolves game and, you know, Wolves had the best chance when Neto went through one-on-one, chipped the goalkeeper and obviously bounced just off the top of the bar. I can't see, you know, Burnley being a threat on the counter-attack, but I think set pieces, again, you're right, Chris, that's where the avenue they'll be looking to go down. But I'm going to go 1-1. I am. I, I just think Chelsea look a bit, uh, not clueless, but they're just running out of ideas a little bit and hopefully once they get used to Tuchel's style of play, they'll be able to create more chances with that ball. But I just think it might be too soon for them and, and Burnley are just in a really good patch at the minute. So yeah, let's go 1-1. You're listening to Matchday FM. I did look at one stage, we'd maybe have four teams battling it out for uh, for Champions League place on the final day. Obviously, Chester. Sorry, yeah, Chelsea. Chester? <laughs> I know. Quite a season, Dave. Participation in this Premier League. Chelsea, Leicester, oh. Manchester United. Start again. That's yeah. going in a sting. I don't care. Yeah. Banter, debate, and the odd good point too, right here on Matchday FM. Right, moving on to our next fixture we're going to look at. We're going to stay in London, Chris, and we're going to look at a team who are doing so, so well. I mean... We've touched on them, haven't we, briefly on multiple podcasts about the job David Moyes is doing at West Ham. But, you know, um, before we get into this, let me just point out at the time of recording this, we are recording this literally 25 minutes now as I speak before Spurs and Liverpool kick off. So you have to just bear with us on that one because, you know, obviously that result might just throw out any of our conversation. But we'll crack on anyway. So West Brom actually leapfrogged Liverpool into fourth, you know, after winning 3-2 away at Palace. Um, and that's just madness. Fair play to David Moyes and, and everything that's going on there. Uh, what, what's the limit for West Ham, Chris? What you know, realistically, can they finish in the Champions League places this season? Yeah, why not? They, they, ultimately, if you're up there at this stage of the season, and we played what 19, 20 games, you're in with a shout because that's that's just not a, an overnight sensation. And we'll six or seven games and then just gone hit a bit of form. It's been consistent. And they're playing really good football. They're a threat all over the park. And in Suchek, they, I think there's only Fernandez who scored more goals as a, in quotes, midfielder. Um, I, I think he's one of the best 
midfielders in the league to check because he, he, he can play as you know people don't forget forget don't they that he can actually play as well he's not just a big lump that scores the old goal he's a good footballer as well so um and you know with Declan Rice in there I think he's coming to his own this season I have big question marks over Declan Rice as a footballer and you know when you know the banding around 50 60 million pound fees to Manchester United ex- Chelsea etc started to see it now I re- really do rate him now the form he's in and the job Moyes is doing is is sensational I, and I'm buzzing for him because he deserves it you know he's never been a bad manager you know he was so unlucky at Man United in my eyes. I think if he'd have stayed on to the another season, I think he, he would have been getting to the point maybe a couple of seasons earlier than they are now in terms of a title. Because just be based on what he's been able to do with West Ham with a far more limited squad. Um you know, he's yeah, he's he's doing wonders. And can West Ham finish in top four? Why not? Why not? Certainly think they're in with a great shout of Europa League at worst. Yeah, I think so. I think they'll be looking at top six. I mean, top four, obviously, they sit there at the minute. I'm just going to keep hammering that point home that at the minute they sit there. Um, I just don't see them finishing the top four. Um, I probably don't see them in my heart as finishing top six, but I think they'll definitely be looking at it 100%. And yeah, David Moore is incredible. I think you've partially answered this, Chris, but um, I'm going to ask you, what is the secret at West Ham? Um, I think for me, and especially under Moyes, they've got the recruitment right, whereas they were spending like millions on maybe players who were had a reputation and are quite fancy, but haven't cut it. You know, I think of like Felipe Anderson, for example, whereas they've gone for a, a, the Molder player like Suchek, who's significantly cheaper, but getting a much better return in terms of performance and goals. Yeah, definitely. The recruitment has improved massively. Um, you think of uh, so far the, um, the fullback, the right back, great signing. He looks a really good player down that right-hand side. You know, you could say he could probably play a best, so-called better club than West Ham. Um, looks a great player. And I think they got him cheap. Um, and they're now seemingly signing players to fit a brief, fit a system. Um, and they've got to work to get into it as well. Um you know, they're not just signing a load of number 10s, for example. Um, and the ones they have signed, they started to move on now and all don't feature from from a couple of seasons ago. There's seemingly more of a game plan behind the scenes in terms of recruitment. And I think that does come down to Moyes. Now that they know that Moyes is going to be in the manager, he's performing well, carries this on, he could get a couple of years to build something. And that's what West Ham needs. They don't need to be changing ideas, changing managers, etc. Left, right, and centre. Stick with Moyes. He's he he could bring them some good times. He could, you know, get them to cup finals. That sort of thing. That's what West Ham will be crying out for. And the going early signs are that the way they're going about things now could signal a real upturn in you know people's perception of them from being a team who not quite a yo-yo club but every other season are in relegation battle now also they should be looking to be a top 10 club every season at least and they've got to get that consistency and they're seemingly now getting settled settled squad 
settled recruitment style, settled manager, and that's the key for them, I think. I would be a liar if I said I didn't think they would be in a relegation battle uh, this season, you know, and I've, at my word, so to speak, I'm, I'm, I've been, re- been really impressed and, you know, enjoyed watching them to an extent. I think they can be like what Everton were under Moyes. Obviously, yeah. the peak for him was they got in, they finished fourth place one season and got into the Champions League. He also took them to an FA Cup final, um, I think. And then they were always in and around the European spots, really, weren't they? Which, obviously, that's what got him his move to United. So, I think that's what West Ham can be um, for the next, you know, five years, maybe. So, it's going to be interesting to see to see how they go from here on in. They seem to have got a plan, like you said, Chris. Um Facing Liverpool, as we mentioned, obviously Liverpool's misery continued after being dumped out of the FA Cup by rivals Manchester United. Obviously, I'll hammer it home again. We don't know what score the Spurs game is going to be because it's coming up. So that might, you know, um, just twist this conversation a little bit. But um, in in terms of facing West Ham, how tough of a game is it for Liverpool? Because I I even think of the reverse fixture at Anfield and it was very tight, you know, Liverpool won 2-1 in the end. How tough is it going to be for them? Very tough. I'm going to say it now, West Ham win that game. Regardless of whether Liverpool go and win at Spurs tonight, because I, I think they've got the weapons to hurt them. You know, Antonio causes problems for any centre half per, period, let alone one that's going to be makeshift. Let's face it, because even Fabinho and Matip is makeshift. Um, so, yeah, they, they, they've got threats all over the plant that will worry Liverpool, and Liverpool aren't in a great space. Yeah, they could go and win 4 0 at Spurs right now. But well, that might just paper over the cracks because, you know, they'll still not be quite right. I, I don't think they showed signs against Man United in the cup. Um, they, they were a little bit more fluid in that forward area. But, you know, whether you're in form or not, going to West Ham right now, going to West Ham whenever, is tough. And I think that they'll find it tough. And yeah, I. I wouldn't be surprised if West Ham at least got something from that game. But I would probably say they'll, they'll nick it. Uh, personally, I think Liverpool are regretting not dipping into the transfer window. Um, they did it a bit in the summer. Maybe should have gone in more. I mean, this month as well. Yeah, I think they could, they could have gone for a centre-back. I think a striker as well, personally, especially after the Jota injury. Um, but like I said in the last podcast, that's up to Klopp and the board, ultimately. They've got the money. I've no doubt about that. But let's get on to predictions for this one, Chris. You obviously fancy West Ham. So um, just give, give us a scoreline. Yeah, I, I'm going to go 2-1 West Ham. Um, Mikel Antonio will get one of them, I reckon. Um, probably Suchet the other because they always seem to score in pairs as well, don't they? But yeah, I, I fancy West Ham in that one, 2-1. And that, I'd, I'd say that regardless of what Liverpool do tonight. Yeah, I'm going to go regardless of results tonight. I'm going to go West Ham 3-2, actually. I, I just do fancy them at the minute. They're on fire in a really good space. So, you know, why not? I mean, I think I've backed Liverpool nine times out of ten when we've done yeah. predictions before. And and if if this is this is the time, really, isn't it, to probably go against Liverpool because of how things are going. So, yeah, I'm going to go uh, 3-2 to the Hammers. Now, if you're enjoying this, then why not check out our blog? You can find it on our website, just search for Matchday FM. So on to the rest of the predictions now for the Premier League weekend. We'll start with the Saturday fixtures. First up, 12.30pm kickoff. We've got Everton versus Newcastle. Chris, over to you. Yeah, I think a bit of a missed opportunity, Everton against Leicester. Um, you know, from what I'd, I'd comments I'd, I'd seen from um, the Everton contingent on Matchday FM, 
they weren't overly enamoured with the results. Mistake from Pickford's probably cost them again. Newcastle, I thought they were okay against Leeds, but still just not got that zip in attack. They've got to find that. Um, but yeah, I think Everton win this 2-0. I'm struggling to see where uh, Newcastle's next result comes from, to be honest with you. Um, Everton are a solid team. Uh, don't score bags and bags and bags of goals. Um, but that's why I think they'll win uh, 1-0 in this fixture. Uh, two 3pm kickoffs on Saturday. We'll start with Crystal Palace versus Wolves. Um, probably not one for the, the neutral, to be honest, Chris, but we'll, we'll look at it anyway. Yeah, it's certainly one. I'll, I'll be watching the other three o'clock game, I think. Um, <laughs> Wolves. <clears throat> saw them live against Chorley. Dreadful. Insipid. Just no creativity. They were better against Chelsea, to be fair. But Neto and Traore are the out balls. They're the two best players right now with Jimenez out um, and Connor Cody at the back. Neto has, is going to be the one that drags them forward for me. Looks a real live wire. Um, Palace going about the business, you know, you expect nothing else, getting enough results to get by. Um, I can see this being a draw. Are we going to get goals? That's a big question. Oh, nah, nil nil. Nil nil. Uh, yeah, Wolves, listen, they just went, I think they reverted to type at Chelsea, three at the back. Let's try and get a clean sheet. Let's try and get out the withdraw. Conceded a lot of the ball, probably had the best chance, but they'll take the nil-nil. I think they just need a, a win to arrest this slump. Palace, you know, not a bad side at all. Um, you know, capable of picking up a result. I think Palace will nick this. I'm going to go I'm going to go 2-1, Crystal Palace. Uh, on to the next 3 pm um, this is a this is tasty, and we're talking about relegation battle. Obviously, Fulham have just had a big relegation game against Brighton, which was a you know a nil nil draw. This is even bigger, isn't it, Chris? You know, West Bromwich Albion away for Scott Parker's men. Which way do we see this going? This is going to have massive, massive implications on the relegation battle. Yeah, I think it's a case of uh, loser of this. That's probably them. It, it could genuinely be that big. Um, Fulham missed opportunity for me against Brighton. Um, but away from home could be a decent point. It's difficult to weigh up who, who came out of that one better, really. Um, West Brom at home have been dreadful, haven't they? They're getting absolutely smashed every week. Um, big Sam just just doesn't seem to be doing the Big Sam stuff at, at West Brom. Um, apart from that <laughs> random result at Anfield. Uh, and obviously they won at, won at Wolves. Yeah, I, I, I think Fulham win it. I think they win it two one as well. I'm with you here. I really like Fulham and a lot of what they do, and I just feel like no matter how many games go by, they're just due a result. Um, West Brom. Uh, I said to you, Chris, before we came on, I know it was Manchester City and a red hot Manchester City, but Allardyce that five nil result. I think he just he looks as if he sat there and he thought the things I normally do just aren't working for me here. And I fancy Fulham. I don't know what score. I have no idea. Um, let's go. Uh, I fancy West Brom to nick one. Right. I, do you know what? I backed Fulham 3-1 at Brighton. It was 0-0. Let's go again. Let's gamble. <laughs> 3-1 Fulham. Um, anyway, right. Let's go to a bit more of a, a more exciting game, shall we say. Two sides that like to play open, high-energy, expansive football, in my opinion. 8pm uh, kickoff. That's Southampton versus Aston Villa. This has a, the makings of a, a cracker, really, Chris, doesn't it? 
yeah, it's two sides who are having really good seasons, but on a you know slightly tapering for Southampton. Um, but I think what eleventh, twelfth at worst, very good season, very good season for them. Um, Villa, like like you said, Kate should have beaten Burnley really uh, with the chances they had. Um, and still very much in, in with a shout of, of Europe in whatever form um, because of the games in hand that they have. So, you know, a win for, for Villa here will put them right back in the mix. Um, you know, keep them, keep everybody else around them just sort of going, oh, okay, what's Villa doing? Um, but conversely, a win for Southampton puts them right back in Europa League contention for me. Um, interesting one. But I think Villa just have a little bit more a moment in time. I think Southampton a little bit depleted, aren't they? Um, the bench is half kids at the moment, which is a, it's a shame for them because, like I said, great season, great job from Hassan Hull at the minute. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to go Villa 2-1. A lot of 2-1s at the minute. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of tight games on paper anyway. Um, I, I like the way both teams play. I like both managers, the way they've gone about things and obviously improved both the sides. I agree with you in the sense that I think Southampton look a little bit leggy. He obviously plays the same 11 quite regular, doesn't he? And with the fixture congestion, doesn't matter how fit you are. You're going to struggle at some stage. Villa, they're creating lots of chances, scoring goals. Their issue is conceding goals and that's why they lost at Burnley. But, they're going to pick up more wins than the air losses playing like that. Um, I fancy a, a score draw. Let's go for a Desmond. Let's go 2 2 for this one, I think. Um, that would be an exciting game. I, well, it I was uh, so anyway. 4 3 in the last get, last meeting, wasn't it? Yeah, it was that. And that was a, but weren't so far, were they 4 0 up? Something like that. So, stupid, 4 1 it, up, yeah. something like that. Anyway. Yeah, so let's hope for another one of them. Um, on to Sunday, and this this is a game that could be like that, but it also could go the other way, I think. It could be really tight or plenty of goals, and that's uh, the 2pm kickoff. Leicester versus Leeds, Chris. Intriguing one. Yeah, I like the look of this. I like the look of this it's a lot. Um, Leeds showed a little bit more of what we've seen of, um, um, of, the, of the best when they played Newcastle. Harrison's goal. Great goal, great goal. Um, and Leicester right up there. They've still... For me, very much title contenders. Um, the form of the players, question marks over what they're going to do without Vardy, but got a point against Everton. Um, maybe a bit fortuitously given Pickford's throwing it in the net again. Um, yeah, I can only see goals, really. I really can, because I can't see either of them thinking, we can contain the other. So I'm going to go 4 2 Leicester. Wow. That, that is a. I'll be tuning in <laughs> if that's the scoreline. Um, I'll be watching it anyway, to be fair. I think it's a, two really good good sides who play good football. I think both like to play it from the back and both like to press up high. So it's whoever plays between the lines better, that, that's who wins it. Do you know what? I fancy Leicester. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna go two 0 I just fancy Leicester at the minute. I think they're a really solid team. Um, you know, got a point at Everton, but um, had a lot of the ball and stuff. But did miss Friday. You are right, did miss Friday. And if it weren't for a mistake, you know, Everton probably go on to to win it. So, um, not as plain sailing as it looks. But I am gonna go for Leicester two 0 Um, onto the last fixture that we've not covered. This is quarter past seven kickoff on Sunday night. 
Uh, Brighton versus Spurs. I mean, this reverse fixture, I think Gareth Bale scored the winner. It was a 2-1 at uh, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. So, uh, what do you think, Chris? Brighton's issue all season has been scoring goals, proved it against Fulham, didn't they? Um, but I remember a game last season, they won 3-1 against Spurs at home. And they're a very decent team. We've said it all season, they play good football. Um Spurs, they're, they're a funny one. Again, well, it'd be interesting to see how they've gone about um, playing Liverpool tonight, by the way. Um, when they go at it, they're great. Surely they've got to go at Brighton. Um, and they should have enough to break them down. I'm going to go 2-0 to Spurs. Yeah, this could hinge on what happens between, obviously, Spurs and Liverpool uh, this evening. But I think... Spurs are quite efficient, and I think they'll just have too much for Brighton. I'm going to go for the same margin, but I'm going to go 3-1, Chris, to, to Spurs. Um, and Mourinho's men will roll on, and, you know, again, nobody will be talking about them, but they'll, they'll still be in the mix, like I said, and I think he'll be pretty pleased with that. Anyway, that is all from myself and Chris for this edition of Prem Talk, a very juicy edition to get our teeth stuck into. I hope you've enjoyed listening. Don't worry. Uh, if you have you don't have to wait long for the next one because obviously we've got the weekend coming up then we've got all next week as well so you'll be hearing a lot from us from us sorry my thanks to Chris I've been Kieran Makin and you've been listening to Prem Talk on the Matchday FM podcast